Welcome to The Ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, and IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Talking to your parents about finances, it's not easy. But talking to them about their finances, well, that ups the stress considerably, especially when your parents are older. That talk is exactly what Chris Durow of Three Hats Financial will tackle in this episode of his podcast, The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth. I'm Patrice Socorro. Chris, I have to say this is not a conversation I would look forward to having. Where should you start? Thanks, Patrice. It's not a thought that many of us really want to entertain because it's hard. It's a reminder that our parents, they're, they're getting later in life. And simply, your parents will get older and they are going to need your help. And it is a blessing to have elderly parents, to be gifted with all that time together, but it's hard when those roles of parents and child begin to shift. And it's hard when adult children become caregivers to their parents. It can be difficult and even awkward to navigate that transition. And what I can't state strongly enough is don't let the awkwardness prevent you from stepping in to help your parents when the time is right. Like basically, if you don't intervene, Unfortunately, might, there might be others that may, and they might not have your parents' best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. So how do you know when it's time to start helping your parents with their money? Well, it's not black and white. It's not that all 70 or 80-year-olds are created equal. Like I, I've had clients that are 55 and need help, and I've had 87-year-olds that still love to talk stocks and at a deep level have spreadsheets and track every dollar. <laughs> One of my clients... Um, unfortunately, she's passed away by now, but she she made it to 101. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even in her 97th year, I remember sitting in her, her nursing home and she was still talking stocks with me. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. But uh, And she was obviously very financially well off because she just had paid so much attention to it her whole life. And then, yeah, after 97, like, of course, then you started to see her slow down quite a bit, like 97. But I still remember that in her 97th year in her just her little nursing home and just still talking stocks with me <laughs> and actually educating me on some things that were the, the way of stocks uh, back 70, 60 years ago. Wow. wow. Anyways, so it can be tough to convince someone that they need help. And even if all the signs are there, that's why helping aging parents with finances kind of requires a, a gentle approach. Now, even if you think your parents are completely capable of handling their finances on their own, it's still a good idea just to inquire about, hey, like their financial state, where are they at? Are there any substantial debts should you do, that you should be aware of? Is If so, how are they doing with the payments? Are they having any issues with the monthly living expenses? And if your parents aren't willing to have a discussion, because that can easily happen as well too, maybe the timing isn't right, and they're just kind of blowing you off and not really interested in engaging in that conversation, then don't just completely shut the door on that. It's still best to observe their behavior for signs of financial hardship, reckless spending, or fraud. If any of these issues remain addressed, it could mm -hmm. cause quite a bit of financial problems for your parents and even to a certain degree, you. 
as well. So some signs that your parents may need a helping hand is just things like noticing you're at their place and you're noticing all these bills stacking up or unopened mail or unpaid bills, second notices, bills being paid more than once, unusual purchases in their debit or credit card account statements if you could get access to it. This I have run across quite a few times where the elderly just keeps sign- like telemarketers and things like that. And they just keep signing up for all kinds of things. I remember one elderly client, she had just all kinds of different types of insurance on her credit card that had no balance, just oh. unusual things. So it's it's important to pay attention to stuff like that. Getting access to those statements though, Chris, that's not an easy thing to do. No, and it's just... It comes back to the conversation again. If if they're going to completely shut you down, then then you can't. You just have to just and see how things are when you're over there. Are you seeing un- bills? Are you ever right. seeing are the parents ever talking about stress? Do you see them ever arguing a bit about finance? It's just trying to pay attention to those signs to see if eventually you can help them or they're going to allow you slowly to get in. So, like basically, if you've observed any of those. Then it, it is it is time to step in. Now, how you do that, we'll we'll get into. But if they're having all these problems and they're still resistant, then you just have to do your best to really go slowly and try and be patient with them. If you're getting a, a ton of resistance, you can even ask, well, okay, maybe another professional or a sibling or or a spouse or another relative can be involved. Like I've had clients that they they'll start talking to me that they're stressed about their parents. They're already seeing the signs, but they're nervous about talking to their parents. So we're, we're having a meeting. Sure. It's, nothing to do with, it's nothing to do with the client's yeah. portfolio. It's all about prepping them up how to have a conversation with their parents because they're quite concerned. And I've had it where the client goes in and just gets shut right down. And we're like, okay, so we have to figure out their approach here and not like, don't quit just because you had one conversation with them. And for this individual situation, it was the parents just didn't feel comfortable with him by himself, the son himself. They wanted the sister involved uh-huh. and then the client didn't want that. But at the end of the day, it's not up to you. So the only way that that was conversation was going to happen if they were both involved. And we initially, we eventually found that out and both the, the uh, son and daughter had to go in and then the parents opened up the door. So it mm-hmm. might not be that they just are completely comfortable with just with just you, which is not easy to take. There's going to be barriers. You have to figure what that out, what that is. Now, some will, will accept it open arms, but yeah, there some. It's just slow, and you just need to keep bringing up the conversation and seeing if you can help slowly. And we'll we'll get into well, basically that'll lead us. In, I'm going to go through five tips right now okay. on how you can help your parents with their money. All right, start with number one, please. All right. So the first one is just what we kind of touching on there, working with them and respecting their decisions. So if they're still able to manage their finances fairly well, be respectful of their decisions and work with them instead of just coming in and taking over. Because that most likely a lot of times won't go very well. So you kind of want to go in with soft hands. And if you come in hard, well, a lot of times you're just going to be met with resistance. So sometimes we've had family family meetings and the kids, they think they know their parents when it comes to finances and believe everything's going to go smoothly and the parents are going to be completely open to it. And uh, it doesn't go that way. So it, as we were talking about before, it's important just to start slow and have multiple conversations around this. 
And like I said, I've had some parents just right away, they just, they were almost waiting for that. They didn't want to bother the child. And they're just so thankful that they've even engaged at all in this. And they just want to just pass everything off to them and just open up and show them everything. Mm, and interesting. Yeah. So, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Sometimes the parents will start with, let's just show you, we'll just show you our portfolio, or we'll start with this one bank account. Right. And at least it's a piece of the overall financial picture and you can just start going from there. So I've witnessed that where it just starts slowly with, with one piece and then they just keep, the parents will just keep letting the child have more and more access. Mm -hmm. And basically you just have to go down the path on their terms, not yours. I think you hit it right on the nose when you said respect, respect what they want to do and how they want to do it. Yeah. And the thing is the money mindset the, there's very different money mindsets with each generation. So if these parents are now 70 or 80, you have to understand like how they are with money and what they've gone through mm-hmm. compared to a 40 or 50 year old right now. Very, very different. And the parents, mm-hmm. it was all about saving the money first before you'd ever buy anything. Times were tougher for a lot of them. Uh, money didn't come in as as easy. Like there's, and that's not everyone. Of course, there's different examples, but it's just the money mindset's very different, and that's why sometimes the parents don't allow the child in right away because they see like, well, look at how much you're spending and all the debt and all the fancy toy and all that. So then the parents don't agree with how the child's handling their finances. And it's not that the child's going to come in and deal with the, the parents' finances the same way that they're dealing with theirs, but it's just also good to have that child involved mm-hmm. somewhat. So hopefully you're, they, they will appreciate you helping them in executing details and letting, letting you in on things like maybe their bills and whatever else they can just allow you to start getting access to. So if you're now, this is on parents that are healthy, mind, and state. Now, if your parents are older and has dementia or cognitive impairment, you're going to have to take over and make decisions on their behalf and kind of move a bit quicker, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but still extremely important. You don't just shut them down because you think they have dementia and come in and take over everything. You still, it's much kinder to be obviously making sure that they feel included and even in control. And that's even if they can't even manage it anymore, but you still just got to keep them included. All right, Chris, you're talking to your parents, you're starting to get access to some of their papers. I mean, the bills and stuff, but what about documents? How do you get access to documents and what documents should you be aware of? Yeah, so that's great. So this is, that's obviously number two is just now the important documents. And it's, it's crucial to know where these are. So you can locate them in an emergency or if your parent simply becomes incapacitated. And these allow you to protect your parents' assets when they're not able to take care of everything themselves. And with these though, Patrice is that sometimes the parents may have initial concerns of allowing access to all these documents. Mm -hmm. So once again, I'm going to go back to be making sure that (laughs) you keep reassuring them that you're just wanting to help them assist them at their own pace, whatever they feel the most comfortable with. And that these important documents, you're only going to use it in case of emergency and, or when they're not able to access them themselves. So it's good that you at least know her, have an idea of where they are. Anything from bank statements to if there's still mortgages to the deed to the house, which throws people off sometimes. It like sometimes we get this is very common. We'll have someone pass away and the child comes to us 
a year, five, ten, and they have an old stock certificate. Oh, I have no idea if this is worth a hundred thousand or ten dollars. And then the and then usually the companies have changed names fifteen times, and a whole bunch of work goes into that. So anything like that that you can give access or, or the, the child knows where all of that is. Right. You might even be able to help them kind of corral everything and put them in one place, like a safety deposit box. Yeah. And this is where like, so, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts yep. that we, we help our clients create estate directories. And basically what that is, it's a binder that has all these financial, these important financial documents in it. So we explain to clients that once they've completed it, that the purpose of this is something ever happens to them, their family can literally just go in to wherever this binder is and everything is in it. And they just pull it out and it's there. We Every two years, we just go through it on a, a deep level and make sure everything's up to date in that. But basically, it's a binder just to grab in case something ever happens. So as I mentioned, everything will be in there. As I, like We just talked about the bank mm-hmm. statements, will, power of attorney, funeral arrangements, pension info. You just mentioned safety deposit boxes. So even in there mentioning if there is safety deposit boxes and what institution are they at? We've even had some clients go as far as putting in like Facebook passwords or prescriptions for their glasses or medication, how to take care of their pets, like all kinds of different things. And one part that I like it that we haven't is is a part that's called what's in your wallet. So it's literally them photocopying every card in their wallet. And it is good for two reasons. Because one, if they ever lose the wallet, it's simple, everything. But two, if they ever need anyone to help them with their finances or they're in the hospital and you don't even know where their wallet is and that, you just have everything there. That's a great idea. That is a really great idea. Yeah, we've had uh, some good feedback on that. Now, I know what you're probably thinking is, wow, that's a lot of sensitive info just sitting in a binder. Well, exactly. So it doesn't mean that it's on your coffee table uh, where everyone sits (laughs) in the family room. But... (laughs) You want to make sure it's in a, a secure location in your home. And I always tell a, a couple just to make sure that each of them, like with the couple, that each of them know. Because sometimes it's very common that the male or female, one of them is, is very engaged in the finances and the other has no clue. Sometimes they're both equal and that's great. But it's just important that they both know where that is because we've had some new widows and it's very good that they just know that everything was set up in that binder initially because they didn't pay a whole lot of attention. They just never did for the last 30, 40 years because the other spouse did. Right. And the other thing is just to make sure that if, if you have the relationship with your kids and all of that, because I can't assume that every person listening has fantastic relationships with their kids because unfortunately that doesn't happen all the time and we see that. But if you do trust your kids and all of that or a friend or relative or the, the, the executor, it's just good for them to know where that binder is in the house and make sure that it's in a secure location. All right. And you, you have got the binder. You have access. You have located all the important documents, but then there's access, access to accounts. You mentioned that with passwords and whatnot. I think that's key. How do you assure that you have access and how do you ask for it? That's probably a more critical question. So this, yeah, getting access to this, this, now this is not something that you can just do very quickly. It requires some advanced planning, like banks and other institutions, back to your question, how you get access. Mm -hmm. They do have quite strict rules on who can access these accounts. And sometimes they require their own documents to be completed, even if you already have a power of attorney in that. This is why it is very important to get your will done is like, basically, I always tell people, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts, if you don't have your will done, your estate's not going to go where you want to go. Mm-hmm. which is a pretty important thing. 
And it is just over the years, I, people procrastinate on this all the time. Wills and powers of attorneys, it's just like people want to avoid the conversation or it's just very odd. And even when you talk to lawyers and that, people just really procrastinate on this. And nowadays, the excuses are a bit more difficult to have because you can literally do all this with like virtually with lawyers. So it makes it much easier. You don't have to drive back and forth to uh, a law office anymore. But anyway, so a couple of tips in regards to that is, and this is all answering how to, to get access to all these financial accounts. Just touching on the wills, with when it comes to picking like the executors, that's something where it's always actually best to have two. And it's preferably to have two independent executors. So not like I say, a husband and wife, for example. It's just safer if you have two independent executors on the will. And if you feel it's too much to have your children as executors, because that executor role is changing quite a bit. It, there's a heck of a lot more work mm-hmm. to be an executor. I think, Patrice, you've gone through this before, so you can probably contest to that. To a small part, uh, but I anticipate having to do it again, and I'm really not looking forward to it. It's, it is a lot. Yeah. And what it was just a default a decade ago. Parents were just, we'd go through the planning and parents were like, yeah, I want my kids as the executor. And that was just kind of the norm. Now what I'm getting is we want our kids on it, but this is a lot. And this is, there's a lot more, it's a lot more complex to be executor. So can we maybe name them, but then have a trust company as a secondary, or can we just simply just name a, a trust company right off the hop to be the executor? Because then they know, it's going to be done professionally. They're going to do a good job. Um, the downside is, yes, there is a cost, but you're also getting it done at a very high level. And it might surprise you. Like it's not going to be ridiculous amounts. It might be a little bit more than if the executor decides to take the maximum amount of compensation. Because when you're an executor, even if you're a child, you're entitled to taking compensation because it is a heck of a lot of work. We assist with this all the time and it's just, it's becoming even more difficult. So we're getting asked a lot more for trust companies to be as not be an alternative executor. And let me guess if it's a, a son or a daughter, that's the executor or exec, executrix, they probably don't even take that payment. I'm starting to, and maybe it's just the scenarios we've gone through in the last bit, but I'm, I'm starting to see a lot more people take it. Okay. And the reason is like, it is a lot of work. It's, it's not just a simple process. And seeing it from the side of the individual taking it, they feel somewhat entitled to it. But even the other siblings and relatives, I have not yet really run into a problem where they say, absolutely not. There's no way that they deserve that because mm. they see the weeks and months going by of this individual, the work that this individual is doing. Powers of attorneys, once again, how do you get access to all this stuff? Powers of attorneys, we've talked about before. There's two. There's property, which is a legal authority to have access to bank accounts and finances. That's obviously the the one we're referencing here. So just to be able to sell your parents' house if needed and everything to do finance and access these accounts, that's the powers of attorneys for property. Now, there's the other power of attorney, which is equally as important. We're just not addressing that one today. And we have addressed this in other podcasts is that just deals with a person who's incapacitated and now it will allow you to be involved in monitoring medical care for them and changing doctors if needed and all those important discussions to have around that level of care and things. 
So really, a power of attorney allows someone on your behalf to become authorized to conduct transactions for you if needed. And the thing is, this needs to be reviewed too. Maybe it's already done. Uh, like Basically, we're talking about elderly parents here. So I would assume most people would have this stuff done, but it doesn't mean that you just get the green check mark and move on. A lot of times, this stuff is really outdated and you have... 40 or 50 year old children, and they still have the guardians in the will and the executors may be very old or even dead, uh, which we've run into. So that's obviously something that needs to be addressed and it needs to be updated. In that case, what happens? Person could pass away and you could get the executor changed, but it is a, it is a heck of a lot of work and very expensive to be able to do that. And that's usually what will prompt these older couples to update that because that's a whole bunch of money to get something done after they've passed that they can mm-hmm. just simply do now and choose and, and everything else. So that's actually a, a good way to kind of give them a bit of a kick in the butt to get it updated. <laughs> True. Yeah. And with, with our elderly clients, I always will initially ask, especially when they're new, is there anyone else they're comfortable? Like a lot of times it's their kids referring them to us because they're worried because they're on their own. But sometimes we'll get elderly clients that have spoken to other elderly clients and, and they, they come in. And I just ask, first thing is, who else are you comfortable with and sitting in our meeting so I can meet this person? Because I always tell them it's best to have a second set of eyes and ears listening to everything since it may help to make things easier for them that after our meetings, they can have a discussion or I'm just including them on our email summaries and all of that stuff. And it's just very good that they have someone else they trust to be sitting in on these meetings. So they just, if anything happens, I now have a contact and relationship with someone if they're not already clients of ours. Mm -hmm. And this is also just a simple non-invasive way that a child can start to get involved. But fortunately for us, we have lots of multi-generational clients, meaning that we have the parents, the grandparents, the kids. So it makes it a bit easier for that. Yeah. So that's basically just some tips on how to get start getting access to these financial accounts. Chris, you just mentioned multi-generational. How about keeping other members of the family informed about what's happening? How important is that? And how do you do that? So that that's a good point, um, keeping the family informed. That is I probably could talk about a whole episode on just that alone. <laughs> That's interesting over the years and the scenarios we've gone through with this. What, I'll keep it short, but what it's obviously extremely important to make sure the other family members are involved in the process. Now, I've had so many different scenarios where the parent, like the child, he wants to have all the other siblings involved, but now the parent doesn't. So once again, going back to you have to respect their wishes, the child actually wants to do the proper thing and not and and sort of and keep the other siblings involved. But the parents are like, no way, we don't want little Billy or who are Bobby knowing this or knowing that. Right. So then it can, you can get a whole bunch of different dynamics. That's not the most common scenario, but it's obviously to have more of the family involved. It just helps avoid conflicts later. Like basically one person accusing another of inappropriately spending their right. parents money behind yeah. the family's back. And we've had scenarios like that, or, or it's just, good to have that. Now, holding family meetings to discuss finances is a very good way to keep everyone up to date on spending and income and the, the parent's financial situation. So I'll offer that a lot and I'll be like a mediator or a buffer. And that makes it, the elderly parents more comfortable. Now, this is usually when the, like all the generations or uh, the individuals involved are clients. right? And that usually goes very well. 
because now I'm in there as a buffer and it will keep, <laughs> it kind of keeps the peace sometimes. A lot of and times. They know, and really, they know you, they trust you. Yeah. And it's, I just know everything that's going on, but what it also allows me to do is when you meet with clients individually, it's very different than when they're all mom and dad and grandparents and everyone's <laughs> yes. in the same room. And you start to really see some, <laughs> start to piece the family dynamics together, which is a financial advisor is actually important when you're dealing with all of that. So those family meetings are just as valuable for me as well. But basically it's very important to keep other family members involved. We have, I'm dealing with one right now. We have a client with a, uh, it's a very large estate. Uh, she's got the early stage of Alzheimer's and her relative is involved, but she's been telling, like, this is this client I had been harassing for five years about wanting to meet this relative because she'd always talk about it. I actually had to get my lawyer to drive to her house to do her will and power of attorney <laughs> because <laughs> she just kept putting it off, putting it off. And I was just too nervous and she finally got everything done. But anyways, this relative is doing everything perfect. Um, you couldn't ask for a better person to be involved, but she's already getting some kickback and, and stress from the other individuals involved in the family that are also in the will, but she's doing all the work. So I just gave her tips, like all communication, all my email summaries for me, any communication with lawyers, accountants, keep all of that, all the emails saved keep it in a binder and just don't just keep it there in case something happens, like just keep them involved. So they understand the decisions you're making and what you're going through and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I really try to look at that from both sides because she'll look at it. Like I'm doing all this work. I can't believe they're even doubting me, but then they're on the other side saying, well, I don't understand why she's doing this or doing that. It doesn't make any sense. So that's why you just got to keep the communication open and making sure you're keeping the family involved, keeping all communication and just keeping notes is just yeah. going to, like most times it's not going to even be needed, but you sure definitely want it if someone questions you. Yeah. And the thing is I've had clients, I've had some clients for 10 years and they, everything has been good and all, everything's great. And then an individual, this is another scenario we had a couple of years and there was three kids and uh, the individual passed away. And I thought, one of the children would be more of the thorn in the side when it came to the money because of just the things I've noticed over the years. It was a complete opposite. It was actually the other client of ours that threw me off that it was that individual that was like just tallying up and looking at every dollar, every penny. And it's not that the individual was, was evil. It's just they were going through some financial hardship at that time. Oh. And it really changed the family dynamics and it just was not what I, we were expecting, but because everything was documented and keeping it fair, that's just was really important. That other individual's situation had changed at the same time of the parent passing. And it, it just made things a bit more difficult, but thank goodness, everything was documented notes. Mm -hmm. The individual was informed. So it just alleviated any other significant headaches. So hopefully listeners can gather from this, that, it is very important to keep the other family members informed, especially if you're the one that the, the parents have given the full access to. Uh, you just want to make sure you do that to alleviate a whole bunch of stress and headache down the road. You've got an, another, a fifth point here that you wanted to wrap everything up with, I think. Tell me about that. Meeting with a team. Yeah. So meeting with a team is just basically in addition to getting the records from your parents and tracking them down yourself. You also want to meet with 
or at least get the introduction to any professionals who manage aspects of your parents' affairs, such as lawyers, accountants, management companies, insurance agents, financial advisor, all of that, because they're going to have valuable information that you're going to need to know. So it's good to make sure that you have the contact info and even better if your parents even just give you an introduction. So you've at least spoken or introduced yourself to that individual, Mm -hmm. because at some point you're going to have to have contact with them. And that was really just point number five. So one thing I will reference is that throughout today's uh, show, I keep referencing parents and this really, it doesn't just have to be parents. This can apply to relatives and an older aunt or uncle or even siblings that are incapacitated or have difficulties or close friends. It's just not parents. It's just parents is the most common scenario. And that's why mm-hmm. I was referencing that here today. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So that's basically it, uh, Patrice. Now, some elderly parents, they may have thought about their future and finances a lot. Others may be in complete denial that they even need to consider this at all. But you won't know unless you start having these discussions and what's important to your parents and what financial assets are even available to them. So it's good to start slowly and begin to have these conversations. But many times these parents, they'll be very thankful that one of their children is taking interest since sometimes the kids automatically assume that mom and dad will not even want them to know. Mm-hmm. That's the most common scenario where the parents are, are very thankful that the children are looking out for them and the role is kind of switching and that they're there to help the parents that I see the most common. So I basically just say like, it's just important. Start having these conversations now while you still can. That's the most important thing to get out of this. All right. Chris, how can people reach you? Uh, website's best, threehatsfinancial.ca. There's contact form there. You can also book a meeting right into my schedule as well, right from there. Mom and dad may not like it, but as Chris has been saying, you may want to sit down with them for this conversation on finances in the very near future. Chris, thanks a lot. Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to get all the latest episodes. Share with friends and family, especially this one, and give us your comments. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.